You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Okay, here we go. Howdy, y'all. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today we're chatting with Karen Hoff, founder and CEO of Improv Edge. Thanks for joining us, Karen. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks, Eleanor. Yeah, and I will make note, excuse me, I'll make note for our listeners that Karen and I are doing this interview on election day, so all of you listening in the future <laughs> have a big advantage uh. over us, maybe, I don't know, you Maybe we should stay here. Maybe you guys are in the, the, who knows, just greetings from the before times, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and greetings from just trying to fill my day with other things to be busy. I've yeah. everything I can now, and, and let's just get to it, so. Yeah. So, um, Karen, I want to start with a, a big basic question, which is, tell me a little bit about how your business works. What is Improv Edge? Ah, okay. So, Improv Edge is business training with an improv twist. Uh, and it's a very different approach to professional development. So we work with executives, with professionals. Uh, most of our clients are in the Fortune 1000, for example. And what we do is we use improvisation as a catalyst for adult learning. You know, adults actually don't learn that well. I don't know <laughs> if you knew that, Eleanor. But we need something to kind of push us out of our comfort zone in order to grow. Wow. So in addition to using improv exercises as a way to rethink our behaviors as leaders and as team members, we also have that backed up with literally now years and years, decades of research in neuroscience and psychology. So we have these wonderful relationships with uh, universities and with PhDs, and we look at what are the behaviors that we can use from the stage that will create great change, great positive change for leaders and teams, and what is the psychology behind that? So it's really exciting work. Uh huh. Can you give me an example of like, so a client might hire you to help them with a specific challenge or just mm -hmm. with general improvement, sort of what is, what is a program that you might run for a client? Okay. Sure. So it, it really runs the gamut. The, the, the glue is that we use improv to create change in these people. So for example, managing change. And uh, we have been very called upon in this pandemic because we work a lot in how to approach change with an improviser's mindset. Adaptable, flexible, ready for anything, willing to lean on team members, often without the resources that you thought you would have. So managing change, leading change, for example, has been a big part of our work. Uh, we also go into topics that are, that are very, very specific, like negotiation, even gender negotiation. How do women, for 
example, get treated differently at the negotiation table? How can we be aware of that? How can we manage it, for example? Uh, and, and an organization usually hires us to work with a specific group. So we may work with the CEO and her or his team. We may work with uh, high potential folks that are coming up the pipeline. They really want to do something special here. We, we work with people literally from an hour, which would be a keynote for a conference. We do those all over the globe to nine months to years. Mm -hmm. So for many of our leadership programs, we'll work with them over a period of nine months. That group of leaders goes into an alumni group. And that group becomes the mentors for the next group that comes in. And we look at everything literally from managing difficult conversations, how to create inclusive workplaces, how to approach unconscious bias, how to show up for a great presentation, whether it's in person or virtual, uh, you know, how to have executive presence. It's a lot of stuff that's very behavioral, Eleanor, because what trips us up often is the hard stuff, which is the soft skills. How do we relate to people? How do we change and tweak just little things that could completely change and improve our life as professionals? Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned the the adaptation being something that you've heard, you know, clients have needed help with uh, during the pandemic. How mm -hmm. has the pandemic forced y'all to adapt? Sort of what have you had to change about the way that you give your programs and that you interact with people to do these trainings? Oh, good question. So we have never, <laughs> we really had to lean into our culture of being improvisers. We prove to ourselves that we are truly improvisers in that uh, before the pandemic, we've actually done virtual work for years and years. Uh, we only had about 5% of our clients that leveraged that. So when we would do a, a long-term program with companies overseas, we do a lot of that work in other countries, you know, we would start in person and then we would spend a few months virtually and then we would go back and meet everybody in person again, right? So, or do it three or four times, whatever. Uh, and we had to then go to our clients, help them understand that we had the ability to provide the same services, the same programs we were already contracted for, but do it virtually on any platform they choose. So I have this amazing group of producers, you name a technology platform, they have mastered it. And so we literally went from serving 5% of our clients virtually to 100% of our clients in a space of about two to three weeks. I, I have never done so many like 20 hour days <laughs> in my life. Uh, and, and that story, I'm, I'm really honored to say the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, we call it WeBank, we're, we're a proud member, recognized that and gave us the grand prize for the pivot of a okay. uh, business in the US, yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> oh, th thank you, we were so honored, we were so honored. Yeah, and it, it's really all because this ensemble that I work with was willing to look at it. You know, we did what improvisers do. They said, yes, this is completely crazy. And what do we do next? Mm -hmm. And so I assume that your, your workshops and the work that you're doing with these people is pretty interactive, right? You're trying mm -hmm. to, uh, did going virtual present some challenges for that? I feel like people are already a little awkward on uh, both doing improv and on video calls. So how did you navigate getting sort of engagement from people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. It's exactly how we always do it. We, we leaned in and we let people know that you're gonna try something you've never tried before. It's gonna feel a little goofy at first, but we're here with you and we're doing it for a reason. It's not just to you know make you feel uncomfortable. It's because we're working toward an outcome and people have loved it. We've had so many folks uh, write their stakeholders or write us and say, 
you know, these virtual improv edge workshops are the highlight of my week or my day. And that's how I get through because they're engaging. Mm. Uh, people come on screen, they talk to each other, we interact, we change it up based on what they need. We play games together. Now, I mean, obviously being in person in a room together is the gold standard. We, we can never replace that with virtual. With that said, we're doing everything we can to make this experience as engaging and fun uh -huh. and meaningful as we can. So people walk away, they're like, oh, I learned something, I can apply it, oh my gosh, and I had a good time. Uh-huh, awesome. Well, I yeah. wanna go back pre-pandemic, way pre-pandemic. Tell me a little bit about how you came to found this business. What sort of, you have an improv background, right? So that drove the idea. Yeah, you. yeah, it um, did. But what was the moment when you realized, oh, I can make money building a business? <laughs> Uh, that's a really good question. So it was probably the moment where <clears throat> we did our first test at Wharton. Uh, so I guess to back up from there, um, I actually, my mother swears I popped out singing and dancing and I was on stage from the time I was five and actually was a professional by the time I was 14. Now, um, I was a very lucky kid. I was from a lower middle class family and I was the first kid to go east for college, I went to Yale, and that opportunity introduced me to improv. So I helped to uh, start the very first Ivy League improv troupe. Oh, cool. And I learned how to do improv there, and it changed everything I knew about performance. It changed how I thought about, oh, and my gosh, you all have to know that Eleanor's cat just walked across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about, about this world is that we get to know people's pets. Uh, so, yeah, I, I realized that improv was so meaningful to me. It changed, in my future, it changed what kind of a friend I was, what kind of a parent I am. Um, so I went straight to Chicago. Again, incredibly fortunate. I got into the Second City. I trained and performed there. I also started many of my own improv troops. I mean, Eleanor, I got to do Shakespeare and movies and TV and, you know, you name it, and lots and lots of late night improv. And so I'm, I'm in this really successful career living in New York. My husband and I are there and I'm at a party and, and somebody goes, you know, you, you should come run our technology company sales team. And I go, you're drunk. <laughs> I'm an actor. I have a humanities degree. Forget it. But they called you back. You know, they called me back the next day. And I thought, wow, this is completely outside my comfort zone. And that's what improvisers are supposed to do. So I literally quit being an actor. I went into a startup. I ran their sales team. I helped to, to take the company public. I ended up working in technology for years and I thought I am being successful because I have these improv skills. Uh -huh. I can think on my feet. I can be creative. I can make any team come together. And so uh, my co-founder, Frances Barney, who's no longer involved in the business, Frances Barney Knudsen, she was getting her MBA at Wharton. She said, we have got to test this idea and my professor is going to let us. So for almost five years, we got to test our hypothesis with MBA students. Uh -huh. Yeah, they helped us to solidify our values, uh, trademark them. Um, and then boy, it just really took off from there. Uh, I am, again, just proud to say I'm, I'm a number one Amazon bestselling author of, of three books that all talk about the application of improv in different kinds of business settings or for individuals as well. Uh -huh. and, and I think that's what it was. There were a lot of doubters though, to your original. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. I, I will say my one, uh, I saw that you had that second city background. 
and my one of my saddest things of the pandemic, which there are many sad sadder things of the pandemic. We were supposed to go to Second City uh, over Easter weekend, and so now I have like two hundred dollars in a Second City gift card that may never get used because they're gonna maybe sell or go out of business for good. So it's, I don't know which. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Eleanor, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there right now. If if for some reason you don't get to go see Second City, which I hope with all my heart that everything comes through, that they do fine and everything is great, which I I believe they can do. Uh, we are going to find you an improv show, okay? okay. <laughs> so, my laptop was going, what? But yeah, we're going we're to find you an improv show. We'll give you at least $200 worth of value. <laughs> okay? I, I, hopefully everything will... Uh, everything should go fine, right? Yeah. But we just got to back up in us. Um, I feel like I'm asking more kind of specific questions than I usually do, but this is a different type of business. I think okay. kind of the most... Uh, the kind of improv advice that the most people are f familiar with is the yes and idea. Are there other kind of rules of improv that you find really apply to business or, or what are some of those other principles that you're really teaching people in these workshops? Oh my gosh, so many, right? <laughs> yes and, you, you totally nailed, that's the foundational principle of improv where uh -huh. you say yes to what's in front of you and you build on it, right? You leave your agenda behind and you get on board with your, with your partners. Um, another one that we that we trademarked and we work very deeply with is called team equity, mm. and I think it's incredibly relevant. Um, there are two I'm going to talk about. Team equity would be the first, and that's where you need really diverse talent on stage to make a good show. So, so not only is it about working with and leaning on people who are very different than you because they'll always make the show better, which I think applies to teams and organizations as well, but it's the the idea that in team equity sometimes you're out front and sometimes you're in the back. Mm -hmm. So even if you're a leader, sometimes you're in the spotlight because there were improv nights where, you know, I was the star, like I was in every scene or I sang a song or whatever. And then there were nights where I just was supporting everybody who was out front because that's uh -huh. what the audience wanted that night. Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea of being willing to do both would be one. Uh -huh. Um, I think the other one that has really resonated for so many people that we've had in our lexicon forever is oops to Eureka. So do you think you can guess what that means? <laughs> what, sort of turning a mistake into an opportunity, I guess? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also oops isn't necessarily always a mistake, but it's the unexpected. Uh -huh. So right now, no one expected this. I think maybe some scientists, if we had listened a little closer, <laughs> right? But it's the idea that we're in this huge oops. So whether or not you get to a eureka entirely depends on how you choose to respond. Uh -huh. And I mean, science is rife with examples. You know, penicillin was a big mistake that was discovered by chance. Uh -huh. uh, there, there's all these examples in our history of taking a moment that's scary and weird and unexpected and saying, okay, I believe that I'm either going to learn or discover something great or something cool will come out of this. Uh-huh. Awesome. Well, hopefully lots of great things come out of this and make it all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> on the improv stage, it was when every now and then you have a train wreck night, right? I, <laughs> oh, those awful nights where the audience isn't laughing and it's not going well. And it's your job to take that oops and make it the funniest show you've ever done. Uh-huh. How do you get to the Eureka? Um, going back, sorry, I've been bouncing around a little bit, but uh -huh. talking about as you were building this into an actual business, what... Um, 
when did it go from kind of you and your partner to, you know, starting to bring people onto the team and are you hot, were you hiring, are you hiring people with that same improv background? Kind of what are you looking for as you built this into more of a, a real business? Oh, cool. Thank you. So, uh, actually in 2005, I bought out my partners, uh, -huh. uh, because I realized that I was really serious about taking this and I think it was more of a hobby for them. They are still great advisors, um, really big supporters. I also knew that I wanted to make it something significant. So we, we now have people in four cities uh -huh. and for the people that work with clients, what we call the artistic side. So facilitators, people who build our content, they have to have a magic combination. They have to have a really significant performance and improv background. And they also have to have a significant business background. Uh -huh. So right there, that's fairly rare to find. Um, and then as time went on, I also learned that there was a third thing I didn't realize because I would get somebody who was right on paper, seemed great. And what I would realize is that they didn't care deeply about the people in the room. Uh -huh. So it's somebody who huge performance background, great uh, corporate background, but also is willing to shelve their ego so that the people in the room are what matter the most or the people on screen, right? Uh -huh. So that's, that's the format for building. And believe it or not, even our technical people that we work with often will after, even after they've been hired every now and then they'll go, uh, I should let you know, I used to do improv. <laughs> <laughs> we, we seem to draw the folks who had some experience in theater, not necessarily required, but yeah. Got it. Uh, do you, so are you as the, the CEO, are you at the point now where you're working on your business as opposed to working in your business or how do you, you know, do you miss, you know, some of the having those client interactions that I assume you're having less, or how do you balance that now? I, I do have a lot less. Yeah, I am working on my business and I've, I've made a big investment in growing the business. Uh, however, I do still stay somewhat involved in delivery because it makes me full uh -huh. and complete. And I, my ensemble, I, they know that if they were to take me out of it completely, I think that would just not work. <laughs> so I do still deliver to a few special clients. Uh -huh. And uh, I have to say, though, there's nothing that makes me happier and more proud than when we have this raving, thrilled client who's maybe never even talked to me. Because uh -huh. that shows that we took this idea and this concept and we were able to make it so strong and so repeatable that these amazing people in my ensemble can deliver it and I don't even have to worry. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. <laughs> and it's you said you're in four cities now? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so how big is your team between your ensemble and kind of your... We're, we're still really, we're still really tiny. We're 20 okay. and we can, we can scale to 30 if uh -huh. we need to because we have such a great ecosystem of... Uh, contractors and people that we love and support. But the core team is really here in Columbus, Ohio, the headquarters. Uh -huh. um, my COO and most of her team's in Cleveland. And then we have um, our content director is in LA. And then we have some emeritus members in New York. Got it. And yeah. so what is your next big goal? What are you working on right now for the company? Oh my. <laughs> well, uh, the next big goal is to triple uh, would, would be out there, right? So we want to we want to triple our our revenue um, and do that smartly, and also be able to deliver to more people than just big corporations. Uh -huh. So we're working on formats to be able to deliver to. Uh, we, we do de deliver to small and mid-sized companies, but not as often as big corporations. So we want to make it easy for them to afford and work with us, and also for individuals. Uh huh. Yeah. So what does that require? Both both tripling and accessing more of those clients oh my gosh well i will i you know 
really good people, which I have a lot of them and maybe some more. <laughs> so we're looking at that. Um, being super laser focused on, on the high level goals that we have, because I think anybody can get interested in shiny things. So staying very focused, making sure that all of us are focused, that we're, we're doing the right things at the right time is a big part of it. And then most importantly, listening to our clients and listening to the people around us and saying, what works? What do you want? What do you need? How can we uh -huh. serve you better? Uh -huh. Great. Awesome. Uh, well, I asked if you still did some of that client interaction, shifting more to just talk about you. Do you still perform at all? Do any, you know, improv on the weekends? No. Or? <laughs> did. Yeah. So I, that has been a, a big desire of mine for a while. The problem is that even with me delivering less, I travel so much uh -huh. that I could never commit to a rehearsal schedule because you've got to, you've got to be here for it. And the irony here, of course, is that like, now I'm grounded. We're yeah. here traveling at all, but none of the theaters are open. So I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. But I know I really want to get back to it. I miss it a lot. I, I love it. Um, we, we mess around as an ensemble, certainly at our offsite. So I get to do a little performing there. But, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, and what are some other ways that you unwind after a, a stressful day or week? Oh, okay. Uh, so my family is amazing. I, I'm so lucky to have a fabulous husband, two Labradors, and three great kids. And uh, oh, I love to hike. I love hiking. Um, I'm actually a water skier in the summer too. Uh -huh. I love biking, love cooking. I love good wine. Um, love being just with my family anytime. I love being with friends and just doing something. What I'm I'm a pretty easy guest. Like whatever somebody wants to do, I'm, I'm up for it. Uh -huh, so I'm uh -huh. going to events. Can't wait for everything to open up again at some point, even if it's small. Theater, sports, you name it. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. Bless you. Thank you. Um, well, and let's see. I guess uh, that's sort of transitioning into just getting to know a little bit more about you. Do you read much or what types of books do you read if you are reading? Oh, I read constantly. I read constantly. Um, not as much as when I, ironically, I read the most when I'm writing because I'm doing so much research. Uh -huh. uh, I, I actually a total geek for business books. I love business books. I love inspirational books. I love novels, love fiction. I think that's uh -huh. actor and storyteller in me. I'll even read scripts. Um, I love magazines. Um, I love young adult. Uh -huh. I think some of the most overlooked fantastic fiction out there. Um, so again, I, I, I'm one of those folks who has a really wide range of, of interests. Uh -huh. and I, I wish I had more time to read. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's been really what, is, what have been some of your, obviously you've written some business books, but what business books have had kind of the most impact on you uh, that you mm. would recommend to other people? So Carol Dweck wrote Mindset, it's fantastic, and and it's certainly been been misquoted and overquoted in some instances. Um, I know a lot of schools trying to implement it, but her her original work, if you read the book, is really quite fabulous. It's about a fixed and a growth mindset. And then um, something that changed my life that I integrated into our work was the work of Sarah Lachevre and Linda Babcock, and they wrote uh, Women Don't Ask, which was the seminal work on uh, why. It, it, it basically pulled together all the statistics and research around why women are so underrepresented at the negotiation table and why we suffer so much from a pay perspective. Um, and they've done work since then, a lot of incredible work since then, um, ask for it, a couple other things. But 
I, I find their work so well researched and well grounded. I, uh -huh. I can't recommend those enough. How did that, you know, you're your own boss, I guess. So um, I assume that that type of work is a little bit influencing what you're communicating to other people. But uh, this is, I don't know, this is kind of a vague question, but do those have those challenges, the fact that women are less likely to ask for more money, that type of stuff come up for you as a business owner, which is sort of how have those applied to you as a female business owner? And what have you learned from what you've read about that and the, the workshops you do on that? Yeah, uh, I, I do think one of the reasons I was put on this earth was to help develop women. <laughs> I, love, I love working. We, we've, we've launched a lot of women's development programs for executives. Um, and I made every mistake in the book, Eleanor, as an, as an entrepreneur and as a female entrepreneur, I even tell stories to make them laugh about the stupid things I did to undervalue myself, to negotiate against myself, to, uh, not, feel like I deserve the right people. I mean, all that dumb stuff that you think, oh, I'll, I'll never fall <laughs> victim to that. Uh -huh. so I think leaning into it and admitting that we're always still growing, that we're always learning has been helpful for the people I work with too, to say, you know, if, if I could get through that, you can too. And there's more I have to learn. Uh -huh. uh, but no, it's influenced me deeply, deeply. Uh -huh. And but I would say too, I have many, many uh, male mentors as well that, that I lean on and get advice from, my husband being one of them. Um, how to do this better, how to break out of some of these stereotypical situations. Uh-huh. Got it. Uh, well, that leads into kind of what is usually my big wrap-up question, which is what piece of advice would you give to a young woman um, who is, you know, just getting out of school and, and eager to follow in the footsteps of someone like you? Oh, wow. Question. <laughs> oh, There's so many things. Um, you can give a couple. <laughs> okay. Just get out of college. I would say work really hard. Do something and work hard at it. Uh, I did a lot of different things on the way to the two I mentioned to you, but I always, I, I worked as hard as I could as long as I was there till the day I left and went to something else. Uh -huh. So work really hard, learn a lot. Don't get flipped out if you make a mistake, if you get fired, if you, you know, end up in a situation, you, you say, okay, what can I learn from this? You deal with it as gracefully as you can and you move on, right? Um, it, it's getting, it's not getting, letting yourself get tripped up, keep working and look for those things that you're good at. So everybody says, follow your passion, but we also are really good at things. And I think early in your career, yeah, you want to love what you're doing and you want to do something you're good at because that builds strength and capability and doing something you're really good at for a while, then you can start to say, how can this support something I'm super passionate about? Uh -huh. I think those two work together. Mm -hmm. Great. That's, a, I think, excellent takeaway. Uh, and I really, I think it's been very fun to chat with you. So thank you so much. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you, Karen. Absolutely. A pleasure. I hope you feel better soon. Thank you so much. And yeah. we all make it through the rest of this week. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, this will air on Friday. We'll have the uh, podcast up and a short story to go with it. So I'll follow up with you if I have any questions between now. Okay. That sounds fantastic. Anything else you need from me right now? No, I think we're all set. So thank you. you. Sure. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye.